Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. Dan Lust, joined by the NIL Hour crew. It is Mike Lawson and Taryn Sharma. We are off to a bang. College football season is over, but the drama is just lighting up. Two big stories this week. Mike, Taryn, how's it going? Dan, it's been a minute since the three of us have been able to, to get on a pod together, so I'm excited to be back here. I don't know what you're talking about, football season being over. It's just heating up. Transfer portal is cooking, and we've got some new NCAA news. You're 100% right. I'm half kidding. So here's what we're going to do today. There are two big topics we're going to hit, and then we'll see what we hit as some uh, kind of, uh, you know, some a little dessert, some things to to look out for. I've I've got a couple. I, I know you guys as well. But the, the big topic we're going to talk about today, two of them, we're going to talk about Florida State being left out of the college football playoff and the quasi-legal challenges and, and perhaps the one million dollar challenge that is looming out there so we have kind of left the speculatory realm and uh there have been some cognizable decision points and then we're certainly going to talk about charlie baker's uh new plan that was announced today uh, but before we get into the fun stuff reminder our podcast sponsored by themis bar review the top bar prep company in the entire galaxy i want you to everybody be on the lookout for some events that we're going to be throwing with themis during the 2024 year we got about a month left 2023 and then uh We've been in talks with Themis to do some events, maybe not all in New York, maybe in some other places. So, Taryn, I got you excited with that one. Maybe in other places because law students across the country should be using Themis. Yeah, so I'll take it from here. Let me just set the stage as to what exactly happened that led to this moment with Florida State uh, being 13-0 and and being left out of the college football playoff. Uh, essentially, beginning last Friday, you had like – Three games, I would say, that were really determinative of who was going to go into the college football playoff. Given that we already thought that Michigan was going to beat Iowa because they just needed to score two points to win. Um, <laughs> anyone was necessarily worried about that one. But the Pac-12 championship on Friday was huge because that was basically a winner-take-all game, it seemed like. Whoever won that game was going to go to the playoff. And Vegas thought that the Oregon Ducks were going to win. I think everyone thought that the Oregon Ducks were going to win. And nine and a half points, nine and a half points is a huge line in Washington. Yeah. I I mean, that's, that's crazy that a team that's undefeated would be a nine and a half point underdog, but everyone saw Oregon play most of this year and they beat up on the competition that they did play. It's not like they played a ton of good teams, but when they did play teams with a pulse, they, they beat, they beat them to a pulp. And so immediately on Friday, they did no favors to the uh, the committee and uh, and they they lost. So Washington won. Washington is thirteen and zero. Washington locked into the college football playoff on Saturday. Michigan won. Michigan was locked into the college football playoff. So what you essentially had was two spots out there, and there was this big debate because it was almost like Alabama and Texas were paired because they played earlier this year. Now these are very different teams. Now, but they're both kind of on an upswing. Alabama lost to Texas 34-24 earlier this season in Tuscaloosa. Both of these teams were playing for college football playoff spots, though. And so Texas kicked us off. It was the first game on Saturday. They won pretty handily, beating Oklahoma State, who a lot of teams didn't, like most people didn't expect them to be there. Wait, Taryn, we've got to take a pause here. Did anything of significance happen during the Texas-Oklahoma State game? Uh, yeah, I think you won a kid a bunch of money that he was going to be deprived of otherwise. 
the people's champ, Dan Lust. Were we not going to talk about this team? Did we just not? We're just going to skip past the part where McAfee and Dave Portnoy are retweeting me and some guy from Ohio State. We got him an extra 80K. How about that? Was this just like the prank when like the rookie hits his first home run and everyone in the dugout just doesn't acknowledge what happened? This was a big deal team. I was actually saving it for your Walter Payton Man of the Year nomination, but yeah, you did. You helped out. Can I say here? Can we just do it here? Can we take a quick break, Taryn? I know you're on a roll. Listen, no. while you're sitting on your couch, you make some observations. I'm watching this game without the sound on, and I'm watching my guy Gavin on the right from Ohio State. Okay? I'm just watching him. Okay? He's got his good footwork. He's not moving as much. Ryan, no offense to Ryan, he's, he's trying to protect... Like perfect the shot, the little shovel pass. But we'll talk later about we have to fix the rules on the pass. But I'm watching Gavin. He's getting a lot of quantity shots up. And I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six. And I'm half looking at, at Ryan. I'm like, he definitely didn't hit six shots. I watched it back on replay. I'm like, he actually didn't hit six shots. I don't know if everybody knows what we're talking about at this point. Gavin and Ryan trying to throw balls through a a, a target for Dr. Pepper to win a hundred thousand dollars in in scholarship to wish him. And I don't know, they tied in the first round. They both had 10 shots. Second or the first overtime, the scoreboard said they both had six. But if you really watched it, Gavin had six, Ryan had five. They go to double overtime, uh, and Ryan wins. So Gavin gets twenty thousand. Ryan gets 100000 but you know what we do here on Conduct Detrimental? We don't just sit down and take it lightly. We take to the streets. We take to our people. We put a video up, and I said undisputable video evidence clearly shows that Gavin wins. Guys, within half an hour, Pat McAfee was sending, quote, retweets of that tweet. Uh, the number got to about $3.7 and Dr. Pepper themselves was forced to respond, and they give both Gavin and Ryan that 100000 So um, I have one thing to say. I am sorry, Dr. Pepper, for taking an extra 80000 out of your budget. But that's what you get, okay? You should have paid the scoreboard operators. They didn't know what they're doing. More about that full story on uh, our socials. But I just wanted to acknowledge it. Gavin, you do not do not owe us any money. But <laughs> if uh, Dr. Pepper wants to send us a lot of Dr. Pepper, totally cool with that. Good move on Dr. Pepper by giving Gavin his rightful scholarship money there. I mean, I, I think the funniest comparison that I can make to this is Pepsi never gave that guy a Harrier jet, but <laughs> Dr. Pepper will give this guy his uh, scholarship money. And Pepsi um, became a law school case. Dr. Pepper, don't be forgotten. Sponsor the podcast. We could be the official sports law podcast of Fansville. Jokes aside, well, let's take a brief, brief break in this one. I think it's interesting. These are these kind of like in-between lawsuits. So he was going to get 20000 he was really entitled to 100000 We're really getting technical because I, I kind of did promise we we're going to talk about this. In the contract, you have to figure out what it, what the contract said in terms of the results, right? It could be the real-time result is final, right? Like you could have something like that that didn't allow for some type of appeal. Um, I just want to point that out. And he's suing for eighty grand. Like if, Taryn, you know this, Mike, you know this, you're both at billable law firms. You're not taking that many cases on contingency. Like it's kind of a hard case, like, if you're going to sue someone to collect 80 grand, Mike, you're pointing, your firm does contingency cases? I, I do personal injury, so all of my cases are contingency, basically. So this is a tough case, though. The most you can recover is 80 grand. So, like, you're gonna who, who's signing up for that case? So it's a cool case. You get a lot of publicity from Representative Gavin, but I don't know what the contract says. So, yeah, like, I said this could end up in a courtroom. I don't know if it's a successful case in a courtroom. And I also don't think it's an economically feasible case to take in a courtroom because it's like, 
the most you could get is 80 gram. So Mike, what's your contingency? One third? Yeah, it would be it would be one third, right? Right. So, but but so Gav, I mean, Gav for a breach of contract, I, I wouldn't see that that would be uh, you would do a contingency on that. But yeah, no. Well, maybe there's an arbitration clause. So if it's an arbitration clause, you might be able to do it for like I'm going to make up a number here. Some some number, a full arbitration from beginning to end. Maybe some depositions involved. Maybe a number in the mid five figures, but like not less than that. Like not if you're going the full way. And if this is a case that's going to that has to go to a courthouse and it goes the distance with absent some type of settlement, it's not settling for uh, there's no legal budget going to trial with depositions and real discovery. It's going to be done for under 50K. So Gavin, I think, yes, Dr. Pepper made the smart move, but Gavin lucked out because I think he had a real legal challenge here. But economically, I think it was going to cost more to litigate that he could have possibly recovered and i hate saying that but that's you know maybe our young lawyers uh and our law students don't really know the economics that go behind a case but taking a case to trial it's not a small claims case it's not like a bs you know like landlord tenant type case where like or a judgment for the payment of monetary damages only like this is a little complicated so anyway taryn just want to point yeah, I... out bringing some attention to the pot we're gonna have some new listeners and i want and... them to know that this this is a very important case here and, and one we... more and i'll kick it right back to you taryn yeah Going back before we dive back into the college football stuff, too, I, I I did want to interject, too. Dan, you were talking about the spread that was on the Oregon-Washington game. I don't understand how these, these guys make the, the lines because the last three times that Oregon and Washington has played, I remember those games. I was watching those games. Washington has won by three points every single time. This year. This, this well, year. The, yeah, earlier this year, they beat them by three points. And then last year, they'd also beat them by, by three points. You got, got to go back to 2021 before, was the last time that Oregon has beaten Washington. So I don't know why they do a nine and a half spread here. It was just wild. But And then also going back to Dan getting the retweet from Pat McAfee. Pat McAfee had the, the a huge college game day pick here that really shook up all of this, which is leading to is leading to – the, the the crux of what we're getting to here with FSU, but Bama, Georgia. Taryn, we threw you off your track. You were on such a good roll. Okay, Taryn, we've now, we, we've established Washington wins. They're in undefeated. They're in the college football playoff. Right. Okay? Texas, you were just saying before I so rudely interrupted you, <laughs> Texas destroys Oklahoma. But at this point, Texas is not in. Yeah, you're right. Texas, not in. And then in the evening, they got simultaneous games, essentially. The SEC championship happens where uh, Alabama upsets Georgia. So a huge upset given that Georgia had not lost in 29 straight games. So they were going for 30 straight undefeated games, which is pretty amazing. But Alabama gets them. And then in the evening, in really a gross rain filled game where neither team really had a, a good grasp on quarterback Florida state beats Louisville and completes their 13 and 0 perfect regular season plus conference championship. They win the ACC championship. So you've got those three teams kind of vying for two spots. And then if you consider Georgia, if you consider Ohio state, but you know, reasonably those teams lost what are essentially playoff games leading up to this. So you've got those three teams, Texas, Alabama, and Florida State, which was ranked fourth this week, vying for the number four, the number three and number four spots. And so that's where we found ourselves on on Sunday leading up to 
the announcement show, which happened around noon. You've laid it out, Taryn. So, okay, I, I was I was watching this very closely on Sunday. I watched every game. Taryn, you, you had me laughing before with uh, Michigan needed to score two points. Um, the over-under for uh, Iowa points in that game was six and a half. That was crazy. Okay, so here's where we're at. And, and this is why we want to talk about this topic. So we, we filled everybody up to speed that wasn't following this so closely. And maybe some of you are not college football people and you're just hearing all this thing about Florida State. They got left out. Okay, couple things. I think this is important. You have at this point, and Taryn, you've laid it out, you have three undefeated teams from Power Five conferences. We're not going to talk about, I think Liberty's undefeated, right? Am I crazy? Liberty's undefeated? Liberty's undefeated. Okay. Liberty's undefeated. We don't need to worry about Liberty because they have like the worst schedule in the country. So you have three undefeated teams. You have Michigan, you have Washington, and you have Florida State. Now, I know most of you listening to this are either lawyers or law students. That means that most of you had to take the LSATs. And if you took the LSATs, you did a little bit of logic games. So here's the equation that the college football committee had to deal with, right? Mike, can you tell us the principles here? And I'll tell you where the logic games thing fits in. And then I, I think we can get to the, the potential lawsuit here. So obviously everybody, and we're going to talk about it, is coming for the college football selection committee. So principles that they use to determine the final four, the, the, making the, the playoffs for, for college football, is is really it, it breaks down to five categories and they're very vague and it's up for interpretation and the college football playoff you know selection committee kind of makes their determination together. So the first factor is whether or not they won their conference championship, uh, strength of the schedule, uh, you know, which would go into the factor of how many you know ranked teams are they playing, uh, the difficult nature of each conference. Uh, head-to-head competition. So like Taryn just said, you know, Texas Bama, Texas beating Bama, you know, earlier in the year, comparative outcomes of common opponents, but they don't really go into the margin of victory when it comes to those comparative outcomes. And then they just have like this kind of general catch-all that says other relevant factors and keying in on the one here that we're going to talk about with, with Florida State is unavailability of key players and coaches that may have affected the team's performance during the season. So biggest news here is Florida State's uh, starting quarterback, you know, had a season-ending injury, obviously not available for the later half of the season and or the playoffs. Of those, where our story goes, and I kind of alluded to this, like logic games problem. If head-to-head results matter, Texas beat Alabama and Alabama beat Georgia. So if that rule is going to have any weight, you need to go in that order. So if you're logic games and you're trying to figure out like a block of things, uh, logic games for me is like 10 plus years ago, but like it has to go Texas, Alabama, Georgia. So if you were a betting individual of which I am, uh, and I made some money off of this, I said, Florida state, I don't know, like we're giving any weight to that fourth rule, the unavailability of players, right? Like you, you read it, Mike, like, like unavailability of key players, I don't know what else that means unless that rule doesn't that rule doesn't exist. I think Florida State's in there. But the fact that that was written in there, you have to take Florida State out. They have the unavailability of Jordan Travis. I mean, I don't I don't know how else how else you put it. And then when it comes to what two schools are going to fill those remaining two spots, I mean, we just did our little Venn diagram or whatever, our little like uh, alligator eats the bigger number. Did you guys do that with the greater sign less than or is that like seven, eight, nine? Yeah, yeah, like, you know, like the alligator eats the big one. But yeah, so you, you put in Texas and Alabama in that order. So the question I have for you two guys, before we get into the lawsuits here, let's pretend that there was, I'm just going to make this up, a 
of five teams. Five teams got into the college football playoff. Okay. So Texas is three, Alabama's four, but five teams got in. Like, let's say Michigan got a bye. Okay. Do you think that the committee would have Florida State five in that scenario or Georgia five in that scenario if you had to involve a 15? Karen, you're smiling. Why, why am I asking that question? Well, based on the rankings, they would have Florida State, but I got to imagine that if they had the opportunity to put Georgia in the playoff, that they would have put Georgia in the playoff. Exactly. This is this is my point, and I don't think this is fair, but I, I think that no matter who Florida State went up against, it could have been Georgia for that last spot. It could have been Ohio State for that last spot. Florida State was getting screwed. Once that fourth criteria came in, the unavailability of players, and you're just seeing that, like, you guys didn't touch it, but like Louisville was a favorite when that line went off. Louisville's the number 14 team in the country. And those advanced look ahead lines, what Florida State would be if they played Michigan or if they played, you know, Washington, those were double digit point spreads. So yeah. the committee doesn't, there was all this kind of like, you know, circular logic about best team, most deserving team. You know, if you really look at it, it it's not really either. It's whatever the committee wants. And if the committee wants competitive games, they don't have to put Florida State in. So Liberty is also undefeated. Like they're not in the conversation. The only thing that I think is interesting, and I and I had a tweet written out, but I'm like, I'm not taking the attacks from SEC country. Like, this is my question for both of you again. And then and then I think we should get into the, the law behind this if there if there is any. Last week, the Florida State Seminoles played without Jordan Travis. Taryn, what was Florida State's ranking going into the weekend? Four. They were four last week without Jordan Travis and nothing changed. They still didn't have Jordan Travis. So how do they get screwed with the same unavailability of the same player? How do they go backwards? That's the part that doesn't make sense. And I think if the committee was being, you know, they, they hope they'd get bailed out from a certain situation. I think they just hope that Georgia would win and it wouldn't be an issue, but you know, that yeah. was a, that was like a three point game that spread. So I think if they were really being smart, what they would have done is moved Florida state back behind some of those one loss teams last week if we're really abiding by that criteria so if you would have moved florida state to like five or six last week like it's not really an issue it's just an issue this week because you're arbitrarily enforcing these rules whenever you want to do them you didn't whatever these rules that you're creating this week to kick florida state out of the top four you didn't do it last week when we already knew that he was that jordan travis was out for the season so um you know, I, I don't really I, th I don't really think the result is wrong. I just think that they waited a week long to do it. And now they look really stupid because if Florida State was like six or seven last week, like this isn't an issue. Right. Like people can be up in arms. But then at that point, Florida State knows they have to win like 40 to 10 to have any shot at this. So I'm off my soapbox. Right. But that's the main thing I think the committee did wrong before we talk about any of these potential challenges. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think that they just they said a bunch of nonsense this week that they didn't necessarily have to stay like the. The best, most deserving thing, like I, I, I don't see a lot of value to that that discussion. I, I think in an ordinary year, um, uh, this Florida State team is is probably both of those things. But it's just as easy as saying we think Alabama and Texas are better right now, and 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 we also think that they've met enough of our criteria to to reward reward placement in this playoff field. Um, and I also thought, you know, they, they, they use this, who would you rather face thing? I don't know that they've ever really used that before 2015. Would any of it, would anyone have said like, 
oh, the, you know, they would much rather face Michigan State than Ohio State, so let's keep Michigan State out? No, because they were best and most deserving at that time. It's not and, in the criterion. It's not in the criterion that Mike read. Who do you want to face right now? Yeah. It's not in the rules. It's not in the principles. So I think you're right. Less is more. Uh, what's the guy's name? Boo Radley? What's the guy's name that's the head of the committee? <laughs> that's Boo Corrigan. And then Bill Hancock is the executive chairman, I think. What's What's interesting, um, too, though, is, you know, I don't know. You got to leave Michigan there just because they've been so dominant all year. But part of that last factor is also key coaches that are missing. And yes. And Michigan didn't have Harbaugh. So, I mean, well, he's available for the he's available. For I know the he is. I know he is. Yes. So is that why Michigan was being I mean, Georgia, like Terrence said, they're they going on 30 straight wins. So there was no way that they're going to move Georgia out of the number one spot. But you know, how much of a consideration, like these are also AP rankings, right? Like you're, you're going, you're going through like the, the rankings throughout the year. And then the college football playoff selection committee comes in at the end. And it's like, okay, these are the teams that are going to make it. So it's, it's also like kind of a ticky tack to like go back through their thought process through the beginning of the year, be- throughout the year, because like, did they really get that much of a factor of the fact that Florida state did lose Travis, you know, did the fact that, Michigan had to play without Harbaugh. They had to go into Penn State without Harbaugh, and, and they still did end up beating them. So, like, it's mm-hmm. it's interesting to go back and through the matchups, thinking of the selection committee, like, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But I, I do agree that I think that they thought that Georgia was just going to win. It wasn't going to be a problem. And then Florida State could just easily take the four spot. But could they have still caused a problem for um, Texas? Like, do you put – Texas at the four and Florida state at the three, like it's a difficult decision that they have to make. And Florida state obviously got snubbed, but strength of schedule is also a big factor too. I mean, the ACC is not that strong of a football you know, program. Like their biggest win was, was against Louisville, like LSU. They pounded LSU. They beat LSU at a conference. Four loss yeah. LSU. LSU had a bad football Wait, year. So though. it's a four loss. So let's, yeah. But let's, Dame. let's, let's take this year. I think, this is like, I don't know. This is a, uh, I think why we're good for this conversation, the three of us, you have to understand the sports side to understand the legal side here, if there is one. So when I was sitting there on Sunday, I'm like, I'm like, as I'm sure everyone did, like, there's going to be some bullshit lawsuit that comes out of this. What's going to come of it? Like, is it real? What's this? So uh, let's do this one quick. And then, uh, you know, I, I think this is important. So Rick Scott is a, is a uh, U.S. Senator, writes a letter to uh, Boo Radley Corrigan. <laughs> Name's not Boo Radley. I just, you know, shout out to Boo Radley. You know, he he writes a lot of the concepts we were thinking, you know, they had a fourth place ranking and it was 13-0 Florida State. I feel bad for the kids, a heartbreak and this and blah, 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 blah. So you're trying to dig what this letter is actually demanding. So it's like the relief requested section. What does this guy want? He spends about three paragraphs talking about nonsense. And it's like, okay, what's what's the kicker? What do you want? I request that you immediately respond to this letter. With the following information, is uh, there's seven things here, okay? Sorry, ten things. I apologize. The listing step and ranking step votes of each member, okay? Any notes, recordings, or reports detailing the deliberations of the committee, okay? Any emails, texts, or written communications exchanged between members of the committee, okay? Emails, texts, blah, 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 blah. Emails, texts, emails, texts, emails, texts, okay? So, oh, and the statistical data and game video 
for the Seminoles reviewed by the members of the selection committee and any documentation of recusals granted to the committee. Okay. So, oh, and then this one I thought was funny. The CFP ethical and conflict of interest standard. Okay. So what does Rick Scott want? He wants to text messages, emails, and phone calls between members of the committee. He wants to figure out where everyone voted because he wants to shame people and making people feel bad about what they voted for. Now, Taryn, Mike, let's see if either of you know the answer to this. I'm not sure I know the answer to this, but I, I want to pose it to both of you. What legal authority does Rick Scott have to force Boo Radley Corrigan to respond and provide this document? Is there, is there anything that would force the college football committee to respond to him? Zero. Zero. I mean, wh what are they going to do? Subpoena the <laughs> right? records? I mean, like, there's nothing here unless they're trying to lay some sort of groundwork for a lawsuit, which, God forbid, like, like what are they even going to claim? Like you said, like some some bogus lawsuit here. We'll get into DeSantis in a second. But, like, uh, what, what gives him the right to even say, like, this is a, this is a private entity. Like, this is a, a completely private entity that was in their – legal bound like right that they didn't do anything illegal like this isn't this isn't a crime there's nothing that they can try what are they going to say like it was fraudulent or like like that this was you know that they were they going to find out that the selection committee got some sort of inducement or, or you know like like pocket conflict of interest conflict of like where where could this even lead them to and like it's just it's just a florida senator who is upset that his Hometown team got snubbed from the college football players. I think I do think that that Florida State got snubbed. I do think that they probably had a, a right maybe for fourth, the 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 fourth spot. But this is just astronaut. Like I, it just doesn't make sense to me. So committees have subpoena power, right? Senate committees. They do, but he's not. There's no committee that's in charge of the college football investigation. No, not at all. And I, I'm looking at the this ones that he's on. He's got aging. You know what this is? This this is like the episode of uh, The Office where like Creed gets his own website and like they're trying to figure out like if if this Creed's website is actually going up on the internet and Ryan's like, no, it's just a word document. It's like not going anywhere. Like Rick Scott just sent this letter into like the ethos. And it's like, uh, this doesn't really have any power. Like, congrats. It's on Twitter. Congrats, Rick Scott. People think you understand college football because the letter is well written, but like, they're not going to give you the text messages and their emails. Like, why would they do that? Um, and I'd be surprised if you really pursued them beyond the letter. Um, I, I, you're right, Mike. Maybe he is trying to set the stage for some type of lawsuit. But like, I don't know. I This is the part. I said this once on Twitter and I got like killed for it because like sometimes I don't really pay attention to like the politics of the world. But I don't. This is the part of sports and politics that should be separate. Like, I don't need Rick Scott trying to unwind the college football playoff selection committee like they made a decision we're going to live by it like people get screwed all the time i remember i grew up in the bcs era and auburn was undefeated a an undefeated sec team jason campbell was the quarterback yeah and they didn't make it there's no lawsuits there's no this there's no that it's like better luck next year like that's it tough luck like that's it but like i guess 2023 people want to make a statement they want to tweet out a letter it's like Come on. Like, we all know this is a BS lawsuit. It's not going anywhere. But, like, I guess someone's got to do it. Someone's got to make some noise. It's just 
you know, maybe we're like the Ghostbusters. We're like the Mythbusters of the sports law field. We're just saying, like, this lawsuit is nonsense. It is not going anywhere. I'm sorry, Rick Scott. I'm sorry to a lot of other people. And I almost got into a Donald Trump impression. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Terry, you can do it in a minute if you want. But, uh, yeah, I think this is complete BS. I was just waiting for who was going to show their true colors and make this pronouncement. I'm all for it. I feel bad for Florida State and the students, but like, I don't know, the, the the Vegas lines tell you that Florida State is a 10-point dog to any of these teams. That's objective. That has nothing to do with politics. They were just not the best team. And I don't know if they were the most deserving team if their team is not that good and they would get shellacked by any of the four teams that are in there. And maybe the fifth team, maybe the sixth team, seventh team. I don't know. You could get me all the way down to Oklahoma. And I'm not sure that Florida State would be favored in this current line table. Sue me. I'm sorry. I'm just, that's, that's just, yeah. that's just my opinion. Look, they don't have uh, a loss on their resume, but they also didn't play anyone as good as Texas this year. So if they did, they might have a loss, but uh, look, it's, I think Jordan Travis was really important to them. I think their defense is really good. I think they probably would keep them in a game, but I also think that there is some interest uh, on the committee's part to avoid what we've seen year after year, which is that uh, we've got non-competitive semifinals. Last year was really like a uh, an odd bird as, as far as uh, national semifinals have gone. So I think they got it right. I think it sucks for Florida State. And and I think that it, it'll be valuable to them in that they'll they'll get to say like, you know, imagine if we had you as a as a five star quarterback backing up Jordan Travis this year, we we would have we would have been in the playoff. Well, speaking of somebody who wants to make noise, Taryn, I know a, a certain person sent out a tweet uh, regarding this situation. Okay, Mike, for the record, it's not a tweet. It is on Truth Social. Taryn has it queued up. Taryn, in the Donald Trump voice, let us hear the Donald Trump tweet. Really bad lobbying effort. <laughs> Let's blame the sanctimonious. <laughs> I wish you'd call Meatball Ron. Uh, okay, so the, you missed the, you missed the part, the substantive part, but I love the accent. So he, Trump goes, the Florida State was treated very badly by the committee. Committee's in quotes, so I, I, that's very, very badly. Committee, very badly. They become the first Power Five team to be left out of the college football playoffs. Okay, pause. They become the first Power Five team to be left out of the college football playoffs. Donald Trump, you do not know anything about football. A lot of Power Five teams are left out, left out every year. You forgot the one important word, undefeated. So uh, Trump's obviously writing his own tweets. Um, that one was just objectively wrong. So but let's go to the, the last part, Taryn, which I, I like that you set up. Let's blame the sanctimonious. Okay, really bad lobbying efforts. I'm not sure what lobbying efforts are being done. Neither here nor there. So Trump, in the midst of his presidential campaign, is blaming DeSanctimonious. And that's a tweet that was, I think, sent out. I guess this was on Sunday. So Ron DeSantis makes news today. Mike, do you have this? Do you have the yeah. update with, with DeSantis? Uh, yeah, you go ahead. Go so so DeSantis, you know, he proposes, you know, state funds. They've got the, the state funding bill for next year, and they're going to reserve a million dollars in state funds for, I'm going to put this in quotes, if you will, possible litigation over the exclusion of Florida State University from uh, the college football playoffs. So, I mean, th this is, again, we're, we're talking about people wanting to make noise. 
It's just that that they are going to do some sort of investigation and use state funds under the state budget, uh, upwards of a million dollars, to potentially file a lawsuit against the college football playoff committee for for following their own protocol. There was probably some percentage of of listeners that when I'm like Gavin pursuing his eighty grand from Dr Pepper, like. I know litigation is expensive. It's probably going to cost more than 50, 50 grand to pursue that case. I'm sorry. It's a winning case, but it costs a lot of money. This is a BS case. And the Sanctimonious has carved out a million dollars of taxpayer money to pursue this case. So that's the danger of someone that controls state funds who's running a political campaign to be president. Like, don't get this twisted. This is an effort to look better to voters at, I don't know, to Florida voters, congrats, maybe you'll win Florida. I'm not even sure you will, but neither here nor there. But um, yeah, I think it's a complete shame that a million dollars is being carved out for a nonsense lawsuit. Um, And like, I don't think these committee members are getting paid anything. And now they're going to get sued. They're going to have their cell phones checked. Like everybody should like relax a little bit. Jordan Travis got hurt. Maybe Florida's they should have pretended that Jordan Travis was like a game time decision for both of these games. Maybe he would come back. Maybe that's the difference here. Maybe we're incentivizing people to lie about the extent of quarterback injuries, but story for another time. But I, I think this law, this lawsuit and the fact that a million dollars being carved out of state budget is shenanigans. Absolute shenanigans. I don't know. What, what, uh, let's, uh, Taryn, Mike, anything else to add before we close the books on this one? Next year's state budget, not even like, <laughs> he's not going to get a million dollars to go fight it now. And it's going to make a difference. And look, this is not, I know that everyone says that this is like unprecedented undefeated team and all of that TCU, which is like the last time that we actually had one of these types of debates was the first year of the playoff a decade ago when it was between TCU Baylor and Ohio state. And uh, TCU was third in the final rankings leading up to conference championship weekend but there was no big 12 championship game and so they fell from three to six got left out ohio state went ohio state won and uh and so unprecedented i guess but um only insofar as florida state had the the schedule that they did and performed the way that they did Okay, let's end it here. Um, we'll keep an eye on this. I had a couple messages from people to cover Florida State, and these were Florida State fans, so I'm sorry. I um, just don't think there's a case here. Okay, let us move on to our second big topic of the day, the new Charlie Baker plan. The big news today is that the NCA has these crazy headlines. I don't know if everybody's following them, but the NCA proposes rule to let schools and athletes enter NIL deals. So... It's a very modern um, approach. We'll put it that way, but it's not quite what the headlines are saying it to be. So Taryn, Mike, myself, we all went through, um, we got provided a copy of the full letter, which I don't think is public. So we're not going to reveal anything. We'll just reveal our, our high level takeaways. And, you know, we've read the articles that are out there of, I guess, other people that have seen the letter. We feel honored that we were trusted with this letter. We're not going to use any confidences here. Um, what our takeaway is, and this is the very, uh, I'll say the dumbed down approach, is that the NCA is basically allowing for the creation of a separate subdivision within football. So if someone wants to call this uh, <laughs> a super 
NCA, which Taryn, uh, Taryn gets all the credit for saying super NCA. Um, I could call it a uh, Mickey Mouse operation. Whatever it is, it's a separate league. And in this league, um, and we'll, we'll break down the terminology, the schools that choose to opt into it will collectively figure out what the rules should be. So it's not going to be a world where the NCAA, you know, in their sole discretion dictates the rules and all of these hundreds of member schools, big and small and high money and low revenue, you know, and like the Stony Brooks are in, in the same type of NCAA rules as like the Alabamas. There is a potential way with this opt-in procedure where the haves and the have-nots can legally, I don't want to say legally, administratively separate and have different rules apply to them. So that's all it is. The NCA is basically saying, listen, we understand that our approach is archaic and we understand that some schools want our archaic rules because they don't want to have to enter into NIL deals with their athletes and other schools that are making hundreds of millions of dollars every year off of football. They might want to pay their athletes directly and not have to deal with collectives. Okay. So with that said, this is nothing formal. It, it's just a general idea of a plan. Nothing is going to be voted on, at least into the earliest until January, but it's not going to happen that quickly. So with that said, that's generally at all that is. It's just the NCAA saying, hey, we're totally okay with a separate subdivision to separate the have and the have-nots. Um, Taryn, I feel like I didn't explain it to our listeners like they were five, more like they were like 18. But like, you know, I think that's a, a fair explanation as to what this is, the super NCA turn. I, I like that phrasing that you came up with. Yeah. I, you know, and I think that our audience is pretty sophisticated, so they, they get it, but you know, you've heard of too big to fail and, and the NCAA has basically become too big to function. And you see this at every stop. It, it's, it, it, it just doesn't move. It, it's, it's so stodgy. It really struggles to propose new ideas. It's always reactive. It's never proactive. So honestly, I give credit to Charlie Baker. This is a different idea. This is a different approach. And also at the same time, it benefits the NCAA. It gives them a purpose because for a long time, I think a lot of us have been wondering out loud, what exactly does the NCAA do around here in the world where they can't enforce rules. And, um, and now I think that they, they, and, and Michael McCann said this also that they might be okay as far as, uh, league legality as it, as it applies to enforcing rules. If only say 50 schools are opting in to be these high resource schools, they say, we want to compete on this level. And by the way, that might include some schools that are just there to get the payout and get their ass kicked. And it, it, it's still allowable. It's going to be more allowable because they're cutting the student athletes in on the value while simultaneously uh, giving the wink and nod to education because, hey, you can do uh, enhanced educational benefits, anything that you see fit, which is like such a far cry from what even got us to this point, right? Alston is about education-related benefits. And so for the NCAA to now be here um, five or six years later is really no nothing less than incredible. So um Mike, what do you think? What what are your takeaways uh, looking at this? Well, just let me let me add this with with Mike, and we talk 
talked about this offline, but I want to make sure we have this discussion on air. So I, I call it a Mickey Mouse because uh, I'm like remembering the NBA bubble where we had a certain game being played and people were like, oh, this isn't a real championship because LeBron and, uh, you know, one is Mickey Mouse title. But we had the question, like, if there is the have and the have nots, what impact does that have on the conferences? Like, let's say you have the SEC schools that are like Alabama and Georgia and no offense to like Vanderbilt, but they're not spending money like Alabama and Georgia are. So let's say Alabama and Georgia want to join the super NCA, whatever we're calling it. And Vanderbilt doesn't want to leave the NCA. Mike, how do you think that that fits in the framework? Like, how do you have half of the SEC in the super NCA and the other half that's like, yeah, we're, we're good being with the NCA, the old NCA rules. Like, how does that even like work together? It doesn't make sense to me because they're saying that it, they're maintaining their national championship model across all their sports. FBS is separate and college football players is going to be separate. So it's got to be that the, this subdivision plays against each other. Like this is just a super division within the NCAA and the, like they're competing against you. Because if you are – the biggest thing that's crushing me about trying to wrap my head around this is – this happened with NIL when NIL, you know, hit the, you know, when everything really blew up for the NCAA, they kind of did a hands-off approach and they said, you guys figure it out where every, and then everything just truly turned into the wild, wild west. But what we have here is the NCAA trying to rework it, but also still taking a hands-off approach and saying, you, you universities, you have the most money, you have the most resources, you figure out a model, you figure out a set of rules, you figure out how to pay your athletes, just do it all yourself. We're not going to have any exposure. This isn't going to limit the antitrust lawsuits. It's just going to shift where the antitrust lawsuit's going to be, who the defendant's going to be. It's it, it's just so the NCAA doesn't keep getting sued. It's just going to be this super division that's going to get sued. And 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 I'll mention the Oregon Title IX lawsuit, but they're, they're going to have to be under the bounds of Title IX and equal opportunity of, of access to this trust fund. But they're saying that it gives, like, I'm going to quote Charlie Baker here, gives the educational institutions with the most visibility, the most financial resources, and the biggest brands an opportunity to choose to operate with a different set of rules that more accurately reflect their scale and their operating model. What does that mean? You're just going to give somebody with unlimited funds creating their own rules about scholarships and recruitment and transfer portals and things like that to just fight against each other? You know, what, what, even if you are a higher scale university that ha has a significantly high budget, why on God's earth would you enter into this where you're just going to be, it's going to be a war of outbidding players because they, they can pay them more? It, it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense to me. Do, do the professional well, sports leagues operate that way? Yeah, but there's limitations. <laughs> there's limitations. Professional sports yeah, leagues which, have salary caps, which is exactly well, hold on. not all of them, but but even that's, baseball doesn't. But there's a luxury tax. So there's still implications to limit that. I know, but I'm saying that that in this case, these schools would be coming together, much like uh, the team owners or team governors do, and creating their own set of rules. And because they're all agreeing to it, and then saying, "All right, NCAA, now you enforce this on our behalf." And, and I agree with you. I think that there is still that blind spot as to this might be antitrust violation, but I think that if you are cutting the players in, so sharing the profits, uh, whether that's in some sort of student employment. If you model, are, if, 
if you are right now, we don't know that that's the case. We don't, we don't. Um, but it says that they can reach these NIL deals directly between the school and the individual student athlete. I think that that probably gives you a little bit more protection because you're entering into a, 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 a bona fide agreement as opposed to what we have now. Um, and, and so I, I think that there is a little bit more leeway there, probably a little bit more protection, especially if you recognize them as a bargaining unit and, and that, allow some sort of union to collectively bargain here. What? That's exactly what I was going to say. Like if you want to compare it to professional leagues and that, then then you're going to have to give them the bargaining power and you're going to have to have a CBA under this super NCAA. You're going to have to have some sort of unionization. You're going to have to go, you're going to have to toe the line of the employee relationship. Yeah, a couple and, things, and- couple things. Wait, wait. Let me let me jump into this part. I think it's important. Mm-hmm. This rule, again, to to Mike's point and Taryn to yours, it's just like we got to pick our poison here. Like th- there's been a reason why the power conferences, power five conferences, and Charlie Baker, everyone's asking for a federal law because there is this weird allocation across state lines, across haves and have nots. So if you're going to create this opt out structure where schools can opt in to have a have not have have and have nots. It helps a little bit. It helps create rules and laws, I will say really rules, that are more tailored toward the schools that want to be a part of it. So you don't need to have, like, you know, my legal alma mater, Fordham, going against the same rules as a school like Alabama. Like, it doesn't really make any sense. Okay, so fast forward. You guys both hit on the main part here. Um, This is, these are rules that are, Taryn, what was the line? The higher what was it the well-funded schools what was it what was the line higher higher resource institutions higher resource institutions so the higher resource institutions are going to be the ones coming up with these rules do you know who's not coming up with these rules who's that the players Mm. the players are not coming up with these rules Mm -hmm. so it's a band-aid right like I, I get it. Like we're we're in kind of hell and like, you know, like uh, I guess like logistical hell, like what's going to happen, revenue sharing, this and that. But we real, you know, we haven't really touched on it. You know, we're obviously watching it. The Dartmouth basketball trying to unionize, you know, these revenue sharings, um, you know, these state proposals that are being, you know, uh, that are being put up in California and other states. Um, you know, if and when players are given the ability to unionize, like this whole system doesn't really matter anymore because players can you know, threaten to strike in theory under that world and uh, have a system that's collectively bargained for. So that's why, you know, Mike and Taryn, like, yeah, pro sports do operate in a model that's somewhat similar to this, but the teams come up with the rules and those rules have to be collectively bargained for with the players. So maybe this is like a one or two year stopgap, but if like Dartmouth basketball ends up unionizing, like it's going to throw the whole model into, into flux. Like, uh, like are these new opt out, like the higher, the, the well-funded revenue schools, whatever they phrase it, like, are they going to have rules? Like, well, if you if your team unionizes, then you get put in a sub-subdivision and we sub you all the way down to the bottom. Like, I, I don't know how the rules account for the big question, which is employment. Like, I get it. I think it does help get around antitrust a little bit, but employment's the real issue, which no one seems to have the right answer for. So, like, yeah, it's an interesting proposal by Charlie Baker, Like, but, like, I, I don't really think it solves all of the problems on the horizon. And Maybe it's maybe it's somewhat of a benefit, but like we don't doesn't get us all the way there. It's definitely beneficial, and I and I and I I sound negative in the eyes of of reading this and with my like I think it is good. I mean it's it's a, it's something, but you know, and, and a factor in here too is the fact that these schools that are opting in can go that they can enter into NI deals with their own athletes. I mean that's that's a big deal. 
That's big time. This is something that we've talked about, though, and we've proposed where we should just let the NCAA give the conferences, as they currently are, the power to create their own rules within their conferences about NIL and payment structures and things like that. This is just creating a new subdivision. This it's, it's just kind of you know telling the wealthiest schools that here you guys can go run buck wild and do whatever you want to pay your athletes. It it really I think what it ultimately is going to do is football kind of runs the the the, the funding of, of a lot of these structures where these wealthy schools that have very successful football programs are going to probably be in that category. So it's it's ultimately going to be a subdivision of FBS. So I mean it, it's it's very interesting what they're doing here, but it's like. It gives us just enough to have some conversation where like the NCAA might be moving in the right direction, but also like enough, there's like not enough clarity there where it's mostly just kicking the can down the road because they're still going to advocate in front of Congress that they think that the the model that they currently have is still superior. I, I don't know. It's, it's just kind of like throwing it up in the air being like that, like, yeah, we can be progressive and like, we can allow these athletes. It's, it's almost the same way that they were all the way back in front of the NIL. Yeah, well, I, I still think that this is better than what they've been doing, which is just begging for the federal law. And and I think that we all recognize that. And I don't think that um, Charlie Baker is suggesting this and saying like, oh, we're going to implement it tomorrow. Um, I think that it may even be the case that this is being proposed in recognition that, that the NLRB moves here and, and allows for unionization, uh, because I don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility. And once one falls, you basically have a, a whole domino effect there and and groups of student athletes are going to be permitted to be bargaining units. So um, I think that this sort of scheme at least allows the NCAA to be prepared to, to get out in front of that. Um, there's a lot more discussion that needs to be had. There's a lot more detail that needs to be had. And, uh, and I think it's an exciting thing for us to to have some movement, some new ideas on behalf of the, the, the giant sloth that has been the NCAA. So um, let's give Rick Pitino uh, the last word on this. Um, so we're all kind of sussing through exactly what this means and, and yada, yada, yada. This is uh, Rick Pitino, I think, describing it very well. So let me understand this latest proposal. Basically, low to mid-majors will now become like football's one double-A and no March Madness. Nice cast system. It would work well in India. Um, and I think we all, you know, we all, I think, reach the same conclusion here. If you are to separate the have and the have-nots, March Madness is not the same. You're not competing on the same ground. So I would think all these would be separated. And, you know, you'd have a differentiation between the have, the have-nots, and the have-not-nots, and, you know, all the way down. Um, is that what we want? Would that change March Madness? Yeah, it would. Those schools wouldn't be competing against each other anymore. So maybe there's a workaround to do it. But, um, you know, I think what we, well, at least what we love about college basketball is that you can have these David versus Goliath matchups every March. College football is not really like that. But, you know, I, I think it's, I don't, I don't quite know how to phrase it, but I, I think Patino said it well. There's a lot of work to do, but I, I think the three of us are in agreement that like we're moving in in a good direction. I think we think we have Baker who is at least willing to change, but we're not quite not quite there. I think this episode's gone a little bit long. Let's do a what to watch for, and then uh, at least I have a best bet of the week. I don't see if you guys can come up with one on the fly. My what to watch for is the transfer portal. Thousands of players are going to enter the transfer portal. Not 
all the thousands of players are going to end up in better landing spots. I, I will say this. Um, not going to mention any names. We we had two uh, very large players enter the transfer portal. I won't I won't mention names so people don't know exactly what I'm talking about. Those that know will know. Players can leave and they're allowed to transfer. Certainly if they have contractual obligations, we'll say with their collective or, or with anybody on campus before they leave, they have to fulfill those obligations. But athletes should know, depending on the contract that you sign, you're not immune from liability just because you're a college athlete. There's no like rule that says, well, college athletes are not allowed to be sued. We've seen so little lawsuits with the amount of contracts that have been done so far. So let's start a little PSA. At some point, we're going to see a real lawsuit between what I believe to be a collective and a player. We're going to see it at some point. But this is my little PSA. I, I do you know, I've been involved in a handful of collective contracts. These are intended to be one-year deals. So if you're signing a multi-year deal with the collective, just know that like, you know, the collective is going to be on the hook for it. And I think it's probably a good deal for you to sign. You're getting paid two years by the collective and you're allowed to transfer, but just know the collective is not going to be so happy. So sometimes they're going to be clauses in your contracts that are good for you, but it might result in some sort of litigation. So I, I don't know. I, I just say this here. There's been clauses and contracts that are like really beneficial to my client. But if we have a real relationship with the other party, we're not going to just sign it and screw the other side. And we know that it's probably a mistake that the clause is in the contract. We have a real relationship with them. So I'm just pointing it out. We're going to have a collective versus player lawsuit very quickly. And I'll say it the other way. A collective should probably think twice about suing a player for the ramifications and precedent it would set. So I've seen on Twitter threats going both ways. And how dare you threaten a player? How dare you? violate a collective contract but like you know it, it'll happen at some point but um i just pointed out there in uh portal season it's all fun and games until someone gets sued mike you want to take us to oregon yeah the oregon title line loss what i alluded to it earlier when i was talking about the, these new proposals by the ncaa um the oregon ducks we have a group of 32 university of oregon female student athletes they filed a class action uh, under the realm of sex discrimination, uh, but it's under the the, the uh, overarching Title IX lawsuit, which is in relation to the females' lack of opportunities for you know NIL uh, opportunities, mostly NIL. And, and really, what they're what they're saying here is that Oregon focuses more on the fact that, of, of their male athletes, uh, and and that kind of caters to all of the publicity that the men's teams get over the female athletes. And there's disproportionate resources that are being spread between the men's athletes and the female athletes. Um, you know, if you go all the way back to the women's 2021 March Madness tournament, Sedona Prince was the uh, Oregon women's basketball player who, you know, went viral uh, for her TikTok video about the men's gym versus the women's gym and, and that you know really sparked a lot of uh conversation and controversy on the exactly what what kind of this this lawsuit talks about is the disproportionate resources that are provided to men's athlete athletics versus female athletics so definitely something to 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 stay closely following here again it's a sex discrimination title nine it is a class action so we're, we're going to have a lot of moving parts here as this case moves forward in the docket but um definitely uh, a big big news out of oregon taryn mine is uh you know i love the uh the ncaa football video games and um matt brown who has been on the show with us uh has been pretty consistent that this was still going to happen next summer and has been reporting as much, but uh, we got 
one step even closer to that brander who uh was had filed a uh, a lawsuit against ea sports in, over the summer agreed to drop it um this past week so uh that seemingly clears uh, an what what could have been a potential obstacle going forward and so i'm excited to get that game back i cannot wait that's going to Tied me over until uh, GTA 6 comes out in 2025. Aaron, I didn't realize you're a GTA 6 guy. Yeah, I, I, I love those open world games. I like it. Okay. All good ones. Definitely all good ones. Okay. I will. Uh, I've been pretty hot in our best bet segment. I did say to take the under on Monday Night Football that I think it was 12 and 1 at that point to the year. So I think the over under was like 38. And uh, both teams scored 30, and I lost that one in spectacular fashion. So <laughs> sorry for giving you an over and under. I will never do that ever again in my uh, my time on this podcast. Okay. I got one pick this week. Taryn, Mike, you ready for this? Ready. Ready. So shout out to my guy, Mike Kripchenko, who was studying, and I should say, Mike, you guys remember, you guys were 1Ls once upon a time. He's in his fall 1L year. He's got a torts fine. He's got this fine. He's like, can I, he's like, do you want me on the podcast this week? I'm like, Mike, you are banned from the podcast until fall 1L finals are over. You're on temporary probation. If you ask to be on the podcast again, I don't know if I'll let you back on. You got to focus on fall 1L finals, my man. So he said, do you want a betting pick? And I'm like, no, I don't want a betting pick from you. I need you to focus all of your brain power on torts. This is a shout out. So Mike Mike will be um, adopting my pick. Listen, he wins. We ride or die together. Buffalo Bills, plus two and a half on the road. Every win the Buffalo Bills is a must win at this point. The Bills are plus 500 to make the playoffs. I told you guys I made some money on the college football playoff. I bet uh, at even money that Alabama would make the college football playoff because it seemed like it made sense, so made money there. And then because I'm an absolute savage, what I did is I parlayed Alabama to make the college football playoff with the Buffalo Bills to make the playoffs at plus 500 with some other things. But just know that if those two things happen, most likely – be sitting on a lot of money. So I'm just telling you, listen, the, the the sharps tell you not to parlay things together, but where is the fun in that? We are a cross-sport podcast. We talk about a lot of different sports, so we got to follow them all. And we do that by betting on all of them simultaneously in very ill-advised parlays. Do not try this at home, but that's my bet. Bills, plus two and a half on the road. Mike, Taryn, anything to add before we put this episode in the books? I've got a take. I'll, I'll, uh, I've got a pick ooh, for you. Ooh, I was, the Bills is a good ooh. one. I, I was going to go money line on that. It's a it's a close line, but that's a good, I think that's a good one. Kansas City Chiefs coming off a terrible loss to the Packers, so I, I could see that happening. And the Bills just need as many wins as possible. But another one is, is the Broncos. The Chargers are an abysmal offense. And they scored six points against an abysmal Patriots team last week. So I, the Broncos money line, I think they're right now plus one thirty. I don't know what the, what the spread is, but uh, it's minus three to to uh, the Chargers. So Broncos over Chargers. I can give one. Uh, I'm going to Vegas this weekend to uh, to see the Vikings, and I got them minus two and a half. Okay, I like the picks. We're all taking points that are three and under so we are uh we are in the in the money here okay good luck to everybody uh taking law school finals this week we are doing um we announced it on the last episode with mike scott 12 19 we are doing an nyc uh, new york city bar event through the sports lawyer association in conjunction in conjunction with conduct detrimental so stay tuned for more events 12 19 that is right after new york city finals um so yeah good luck to my students i gave them my uh law school Final on Friday. It is a 
take-home exam. They could take it any day in the next two weeks. So good luck to them. There have been some nuggets that I've dropped in this podcast. So listen, I signed the podcast as a signed listing. See if anybody listens to the podcast. How about that? How about that? Um, okay, is gentlemen. It all, is it all multiple choice? Oh. Oh, oh, I well, do you want me to get my soapbox here while well, we have five minutes? Well, well I, okay. we've we've heard we've heard the Dan Lust uh horror stories of of final exams. Oh, the... oh yeah. So this is important. This is an important update. This is an important update for all our aspiring professors out there and students that might take my class at some point or that are inclined to go to New York Law School, take this class. Um, fun fact, they don't pay the professors extra for grading 60 short answer questions for 60 students. Mike, quick math. What's 60 times 60? 3,600. 3,600. <laughs> Because I'm a complete idiot, my first year teaching this exam, I'm like, oh, yeah, short answers. I love short answers. Let me give 60 short answers. That's great. 60 short answer times 60 students took me about a week every single day looking at this nonstop and grading it and barely getting it on time. So I've learned my lesson. I now give a 90. Well, and I gave them like four hours to do it. It was like the worst exam of all time. And I would get a lot of bad reviews and people like, we like Professor Lust, but his final is the worst thing. And we hate him for his final. So I'm like, Let's not do that. 90 multiple choice questions. I gave the students two hours and 15 minutes. Okay. People might say that's aggressive. How about this, Mike? How about this, Taryn? Under New York law school rules, open book means open book. But like, because you're not taking it at a specific time with a proctor, like there's no real way to know if someone is doing something facetious and that they shouldn't be doing honor code, honor system, shouldn't be going on the internet. You shouldn't be looking at it. But I'm just, I've I've warned the students, the, the exam is open right now. And I've warned the students, told them this. You should know this stuff cold. You shouldn't be resorting to the internet because I didn't give you that much time. I only gave you two hours and 15 minutes for 90 multiple choice questions. Do not be researching things on the internet. It's not going to help you. You're going to run out of time. That's that's my warning. But how, how, how about the days when we just would walk into class with a Scantron and we'd have to bubble things out? We couldn't go on our phones. I, I don't like that. I don't, I don't like that. Uh, I don't like that students can go on the internet. That's not cool. Yeah, let's get you back to bed, Grandpa. Sounds good. Let's end it here. Okay, Mike, Taryn, great job. We'll see everyone next time on another episode of Conduct Detrimental with the Grandpa.